Thank you all so much for praying with me and with each other. And if you have a Bible, and I know that you all do, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is going to be our text tonight. Uh, we will pick back up where we left off last week. We covered the first 11 verses. If you missed that, you can find it archived on our website and on our um, Facebook page uh, if you want to check out what the introduction was all about. But if you were here, you know that Paul does not waste any time uh, in bringing us the first major lesson pertaining to this book's overall theme. Uh, the title of this series of this study is called In Christ because that's what Paul's message is overall in this book, uh, that you and I have been placed in Christ, that you and I have been uh, given the life of Christ, so Christ is in us and we are in Christ, and that means that we can be transformed and realize our full potential as part of the new creation. Uh, old things have passed away, all things have become new. We once were in Adam and we were destined to die and stay in our sins, but now we are in Christ, so we have been raised up anew. And we might live in the newness of life. There are dozens of Bible verses that say that, yet 2 Corinthians is a book dedicated to that very theme. Uh, his first major lesson in this book might seem a bit odd uh, to, to be first on the list, but it comes from a desire in the Apostle Paul's heart uh, to reframe our circumstances, uh, that we might understand what it means to be in Christ and what it means to live with an in Christ mindset uh, that, and what better thing to punctuate uh, that uh, the transformative power of being in Christ and what better way to underscore what it means to have Christ in us than to address the subject of suffering and facing trials. So right out of the gate, uh, from verses uh, 3 uh, to verse number 11, Paul's focus is uh, about understanding that in our hardships and in our afflictions, we uh, have an opportunity to receive more of Christ and become more like Christ. And in our areas that need to be comforted, we can receive the comforting power of God so that we might be a beacon of hope to a world that needs that very same comfort, that doesn't know Jesus like we know Jesus. But if we can connect the dots for them as he has given us comfort, we can share that comfort and we can make a difference in the world. So we learned in our first lesson that our afflictions are conduits to the resurrection power of Jesus. So as we endure affliction, we can experience the resurrection power of Jesus. Yet it's important that we understand that our afflictions are not something that, that, that are outside of God's will. Our afflictions are not obstacles in our way to where God wants us to be. Yet our afflictions are part of God's plan so that we might be comforted, so that we might be resurrected, so that we might be an example to the world of the work that God can do in raising someone up. Uh, this is God's primary goal for every believer. If we are in Christ, we need to be acquainted with Christ's uh, most defining moment and, most, and, and choice display of power, which is his resurrection, where he overcame the grave, yet he was first buried in the grave in order to set that that stage, Paul encourages the church to begin to reframe and reprocess all that they face, especially the hardships and the challenges, the pains and the problems, through the promise of the resurrection of Jesus, so that they might be able to witness the hope of Christ uh, to those who don't yet have it and haven't yet trusted in Jesus, so that in their weakness, 
the power of God might be put on display. So Paul refers or relates to the Corinthians on the basis of the trials that he endured specifically for them. So he writes to them about what they're suffering and writes to them that he himself and his team have suffered a great amount for the good of the church at Corinth so that he could establish it and foster it and plant it and, and build it up. Uh, so Paul, as he segues into the next lesson, uh, he's going to argue that it's this, 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 desire of his and, and this genuine uh, relatability that he has, that is really the strength of his ministry. Uh, and Paul's going to talk about that any ministry is only as strong as its testimony. And if you and I want to be successful in our ministries, yet and you might say, well, I'm not, I'm not in ministry. I'm just a church member. You absolutely are in ministry. All of us have a ministry. All of us have a role to play in the church of God. All of us have people that we can impact for the work of Christ. So Paul has told the Corinthians that he suffered a great deal to establish their church and to work in the, for their church and to build churches like theirs. And then in, as he goes into the next section, he's going to say, hey, it's, it's that reality that strengthens my testimony. And it's that reality that strengthens anybody's testimony. Now, you may have never thought about this before, but it's really important, and I'm glad that Paul brings this to our attention. Uh, what makes Jesus so trustworthy, and what makes his apostles and the disciples that he sent so trustworthy, what makes anyone that represents him so trustworthy or trustworthy at all is their servanthood. What makes Jesus trustworthy is that he was a servant. What makes Peter and Paul and James and John trustworthy is that they were servants. This is the definitive calling card of any true Christian minister. And by extension, every Christian's personal ministry that we are called to fulfill in our own unique ways. The defining dis distinct attribute of Jesus was that he himself, was as he himself put it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, this may, this may make the house of cards of many sheep in wolf's clothing uh, fall apart because there are many people who claim to do work for the Lord and that are self-proclaimed ministers to God and ministries to God uh, that parade about themselves, uh, parade themselves about as if they are working for the Lord, yet they are not servants. And if you want to, if you want to gauge what someone is doing for God or if someone is doing anything for God, it is how well they serve or if they serve at all. And as serve, I mean submit to one another. That's what Paul was going to do in the long run in 2 Corinthians. He's going to define what it means to be in Christ and he's going to discredit and expose many of the false apostles and teachers who are trying to destroy his work but that are doing no good work themselves. Uh, we know what Jesus went through. We talked about this last week. Uh, this is the part of the reason why the religious leaders resented him because he exposed them and he undermined the facade they were trying to maintain. They wanted uh, to seem that if they, they wanted to seem that if you were really in good with God, if you uh, if you were favored by God, you would live this cushy life atop an ivory tower and you'd be able to command others to do the hard work for you and you would never suffer not one 
bit. We, we went over this last week, but this is not the path the child of God is called to walk, and this is not where the true blessings of God are found. And anyone peddling that prosperity heresy needs to be exposed. Again, Jesus lived a life of discomfort, a life of rejection, a life of disgrace by this world's standards, yet he never begrudged it all. He had a much greater, lasting, stronger joy, and, and that's the point. He knew there was something greater. Jesus made it clear, whoever follows him, whoever is sent by him, will walk his paths and bear his cross. He said in Matthew chapter 10, 24 and 25, that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for you, for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. Translation, if we follow the one with nail-scarred hands, if we follow the one with a marked back from the whips and from the cross, we are going to bear marks and we are going to bear scars ourselves. And that's the path that Peter walked. That's the path that Paul walked. Now, is this, is this, does this mean that we eschew all earth's goods and that we turn away all of the things that, God, that, that are blessings in this life? No, but it means that we understand that those things are given to us by God, but that those things don't take the place of the intangible blessings of God. The Apostle Paul affirms that it is God who gives us so much of this world's good, yet we must never be deceived by it. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as for the rich, and that just means blessed, that just means people that have been given anything by God at all in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us, all, uh, provides us with everything to enjoy. And, and listen to how he defines enjoying these things in this next verse. So he says, God has given us these things. So what are we to do with those things? We are to do good, to be rich in good works, be generous, ready to share, storing up for ourselves treasure, uh, tr storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. So it is indeed God who blesses us. But Paul has told us, that it's those blessings that God gives us that we are meant to use to further the ministry that he's called us to be involved in and to whom much is given, much is required. Paul's message to the Corinthians is that they aren't to be a people uh, who encourages a hurting world from a distance, but they are to do good by example and by association, not to look down at the world that's struggling, but to relate to the world and to be alongside them. The world that is broken and needy, we are to be there for them and to show them. And, and, and here's the thing that Paul is telling us in this book, that sometimes God will make us feel hurt in an acute and particular way in order that our spotlight may be broader and more authentic. And that word authentic is really going to be key as we move into tonight's text. In those days, this was mostly to set apart the church from other pagan religions, but maybe a few Christians that were opportunists in trying to exploit the church for their own success. But in our day, there's a whole lot of people trying to hijack uh, the church for their own gain. There's a whole lot of people peddling God's word for their own profit. So we need to beware of that. 
With all that being said and established, I want you to listen to Paul's appeal to the Corinthians as he wants them to know that the fact that he's felt what he's felt, the fact that he's endured what he's endured, the fact that he smells like the sheep he's been called to serve, and that he's faced much of the same danger that they face on a daily basis, Paul says that I consider that to validate and authenticate my ministry. The fact that I have suffered, the fact that I have endured these hardships, the fact that I am an example to you all. Paul says, that is what I boast about. I, I don't boast about what I know, and I by no means boast about what I have in this life. I boast about what I have experienced so that the church would be furthered, and that I have went through things that you all have went through to show you that I am right there with you. Paul says that is what validated and authenticated his ministry. So in a lot of ways, Paul is really talking to us not as inferiors or not as students. He's talking to us as people who have our own ministry, who have our own fields to work in, who have our own callings to serve in. And listen to what he says in verse 12 through 14. For our boasting is this, or, or this is what... I am proud of about my ministry. This is what I think defines my ministry and what should define any ministry. The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world is simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read and or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus or on the day that the Lord Jesus comes and will judge the world. So verse 12 tells us what Paul is most proud of what he believes makes his ministry and his team's work trustworthy and legitimate. And this should be what you, how you judge any ministry, how you determine the, the, the success of your own efforts to serve the Lord. He says, I tell you what my boast is, and, and, and I, want to, I want to say this. It is so easy to misidentify our goalposts as we serve the Lord. And here's what I mean by that. If you're watching a ball game, you know where the goals are. There's a basketball hoop on both ends of the court. There's a field, there's a goal on both ends of the field. There's a finish line on the track. It's, it's very clear. And if, you, if, if an athlete decides they're going to put the ball somewhere else that's not in the net or not in the hoop or not across the, the, the post, then they're not going to get any points regardless of what they decide in their own minds that, 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 that should be counted, right? That there's clear, uh, it's clear where the goal posts are. It's clear where the, the goals are and where they aren't. The, the first yard, the, the 10th yard line or the 50th yard line, none of those things are where the points are scored, right? If you're running a race that's 100 laps, lap 10 or lap 20 or lap 50, that's not where the points are scored. But it's easy as Christians to misidentify our goalpost. As in, we can very easily establish the wrong goals and feel defined by the wrong accomplishments. And let me just be frank. This is why many get burnt out and discouraged so quickly and so often. 
and we set out to serve the Lord, we set out to honor the Lord with our lives, there are a few things we need to define in our own minds. Before we worry about the size of our impact, before we worry about the scale of our work, there are two priorities that we should set that by which we should judge ourselves and measure the work that we've been called to do. By doing this, we will guard our hearts from the external factors that ultimately aren't what God is concerned about at all. So the two things that you should strive for, the two goals that you should set for yourselves when you set out to serve God in any capacity, on a small, unseen scale, by all means, on a big, visible scale. If you are trying to serve the Lord, and all of you are, there are two goals that you should set internally and in your heart. That you would have integrity and sincerity. Integrity and sincerity. Now, verse 12 uses the word simplicity. The word simplicity means, we think it means, we hear the word simple and think, well, what does that mean? What's that got to do with integrity? The word simplicity means easy to understand, as in there's no duplicity in what its goals are or what its motives are. Have you ever met somebody that you, you couldn't really figure out what, the, what, what their goals were? You couldn't really figure out what they were after? And one minute it looks like they're wanting this, and one minute they look like they, it looks like they want this. To be full of simplicity means that you have a pure motive. You have an integrity about yourselves that isn't in it for the wrong reasons. So when he uses simplicity in the context of one's reputation, it's best understood integrity. I think we know what the word integrity means. Integrity, when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to serving Jesus, this is the first and foremost thing we should focus on. The first and foremost thing about integrity is following Jesus as we ought and mimicking him in our walks. It's so often when we become, we get involved in ministry that we immediately think about what other people are thinking, how other people are responding to us, how other people are reacting to us, what we're getting out of this in terms of a monetary or a physical way. It's easy to forget that the main thing in ministry is that we maintain integrity, that we have or possess integrity. And integrity is all about how are you following Jesus and how are you mimicking Jesus? It goes back to our talk earlier about the scars that we'll bear, the marks that we'll have, but it's bigger than that. In some ways, the word simplicity helps us understand helps us understand what integrity means deep down. It's about projecting, protecting our own joy and fulfillment from doing any given task. If you get into ministry, if you set out to serve the Lord, and you're concerned about what others are doing and what others will think about you, you're setting yourselves up for failure. My advice to any pastor, any teacher, any servant in the church is to keep your eyes on Jesus, stay close to Jesus, and copy Jesus with your every move. Don't judge yourself based on what others do or what others don't do with regard to you. Judge your work based on your proximity and presentation to Jesus. If you are following Jesus and staying close to Jesus and you are mimicking Jesus as best you can, that is the most important thing in determining are you being faithful and is your ministry going to be successful? Not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. And that's what matters most. You know what this does? And this is so, so important. It forces us to keep our focus on our own devotion. See, when you set out to serve Jesus, it's so easy to make it all about, well, what am I going to get out of it? 
or what's going to, you know, is it going to be recognized or is it going to be obvious in a physical, visible way? But when you serve Jesus, what matters most is your heart and your connection to God. And if you're serving Jesus and you make it all about your integrity as in, is it clear I'm doing this for Jesus? I'm not doing this for any worldly gain. I'm not doing this for any, you know, worldly fame or, or, or some sort of recognition, even though we want all that stuff, even though all of us want that deep down or want some sort of affirmation, of course we do. But if you're going to stay faithful and you're going to stay successful in God's eyes, the most important thing is your integrity. And if your integrity is all that you're worried about or the first thing that you're worried about, you are focused on following Jesus, keeping your eyes on him, getting close to him and mimicking him in your every move. And you're letting God take care of all the rest. Listen, it is so hard to do that. But let me make it very clear. There are a lot of people who wear these and a lot of people who stand behind things like this and and just in general, a lot of people who are leaders in ministry and do things in ministry, who are servants in, in all the right places and all the right ways, yet they themselves are not where they need to be with Jesus because they have allowed their ministry They have allowed the the worldly metrics of their ministry to get in the way of their own relationship with Jesus. And do you see how that breaks down the the entire purpose of what it was initially inspired by? See, when you focus on your integrity, and yeah, there are other things you gotta consider, but when your integrity is the most important thing, it forces you to keep your own focus, keep your focus on your own devotion, and it keeps you from getting distracted by others and discouraged by obstacles because there will be plenty of distraction and plenty of discouragement. I'm young, but I've been doing this for 10, I've been, I don't know what I've been doing for 12 years, but I've been doing a little bit of something for 12, 13 years since I was out of high school in, in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of distractions and there's a lot of discouragement. But when it's all about serving Jesus and all about honoring Jesus and it's all about, hey, am I being faithful and obedient to what God has called me to do? You can't really give any time to that distraction or that discouragement. How do you think the disciples survived the book of Acts? They were arrested, they were threatened, they were beaten, beating, uh, beaten to death or, or almost to death. Uh, they were put in prison. They, were, they had to watch their own friends martyred. How did they survive it? Yeah, on some occasions, 2,000 people came to Christ. On other occasions, people were killed because of their faithfulness. I mean, it, right, it, it, it was kind of back and forth. How did they survive it? They kept their eyes on Jesus and they, they made looking like Jesus their priority. And I think this is the, really the best way to kind of summarize it or make it, to simplify it. The things you're passionate about come from the things that you prioritize. Our flesh will naturally drift towards the wrong priorities and thus the wrong passions. There are a lot of people who are passionate about all the wrong things even though they're in ministry, even though they're a church member, right? Church members can become obsessed by all sorts of things that are wrong, right? From money to numbers to what am I getting out of it or what are, you know, are they responding? We can get so distracted by those things, can't we? And it's because we prioritize the wrong thing. And when you prioritize the wrong thing, your passion follows those priorities. And you would think, at some point, you would think, well, the only reason we're here is for these things because that's where you put your priorities. If we concentrate our minds on this, we fuel our heart's desire to maintain it. Proverbs 11.3 is a verse that we all should memorize. 
The integrity of the upright guides them, but the duplicity of the treacherous destroys them. That, that's talking about what's going on in our hearts. So either we're full of integrity and our hearts are guided and they're at peace, or we're full of duplicity, which is to be crossed up in our motives, to have too many things that are trying to pull at us, to be prioritizing the wrong things. Your Bible might use the word crookedness, and if something's crooked, how long is it going to stand? Not long. The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them, as in it causes them to fall apart, literally. We will juggle all sorts of emotions if our hearts are not rightly aligned with Christ. Now, the second thing that Paul mentions is godly sincerity. And this comes down to one simple question. Are you for real or are you faking it? Every Christian has to check themselves again and again, week in and week out. Only you know if you're doing this for the right reason or you're just faking it and trying to get something out of something, get something outside of this that's not pertaining to God. It's easy to become obsessed with talking about the truth, getting worked up about the truth, but we ourselves can sort of be careless about our own passion for it. Isn't it true that it's easy as church members and as Christians to get so passionate about what is true and about who doesn't believe what's true that we ourselves lose our own passion for doing what we should do? Isn't the devil pretty crafty in how he deceives us and he gets us so worked up about what, the, what others aren't doing and what others should be doing and what we believe Yet a lot of us just kind of sit still because we don't know if it's worth it to get our hands dirty and get to work because we've made our priorities the wrong things. Now, sincerity. Uh, sincerity can be feigned through speech, but it's proven through attitude and actions. And here's what I mean by this. As a preacher, or as a teacher, as a preacher, I understand, listen, I, I, can, I can put together a message that makes me appear to be sincere, but that's not what proves my sincerity. My sincerity is proven in my attitude when I'm not up here and my actions when I'm not up here. It's easy. Listen, politicians are the master class of feigning sincerity. They know what to say and how to say it to get your vote. But when you watch them when they're not on the stage, that's what tells the truth. That's what tells the tale. And the same thing's for Christians. It's easy to feign or to pretend to have sincerity. But you show me what your attitude is and what your actions are. That's what proves it. Paul wasn't just all talk like so many church people are. Religious people can easily be. Preachers are obviously guilty of this. Sincerity, though. Sincerity. How do you maintain a sincere heart? You have a passion for Jesus. You have a love for his own. And you have a burden for those far away from him. A passion for Jesus as in, why are you doing this? Did you get saved to be a somebody? Did you join the church to, have a, to get attention or to gain something? Or did you, join the, did you join this because you love Jesus? And, and a lot of times we need to check ourselves and ask ourselves, hey, am, am I really doing this for the right reasons? Am I in, you know, a lot of people, they're so angry and they're, and they're so worked up and they're so preoccupied. I don't even know what, I don't even know if they know what they're doing this for. Do you have a heart for Jesus? As in, do you 
love Jesus? Do you have him at the center of your life? Are you living for him and only him? Not for what you might get out of it or what you might be known for, but are you living? I was, I was talking to the, the landscaping guy earlier. He always talks to me when he's here on Wednesday, and, 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 I, and I, we were just having a roundabout conversation, and, and, I, and I told him, and, and I mean it, I don't care if anybody knows who I am. I don't care if anybody remembers me and, and has anything good to say about me. The only thing I care about as a pastor is am I helping people get closer to Jesus? Because that's, that's the only thing I'm worried about. That's, that's all. And, and again, you might say, Justin, you're being a little bit too critical, but that's true. The only thing I can really accomplish in this life is to help people get closer to Jesus because, again, that's the only thing that makes a difference. Eternally speaking, Right? Are you driven by a passion for Jesus? As in, are you living for him because you know he's the most important thing and the most worthwhile person to live for? And sincerity for him will make us be sincerely in love for his own because when you see what Jesus did for you, you see what he did for others and you love those as much as you love him. And as you love him and as you love his own, you will have a burden for those that don't yet know him. Every single day we should pray, Jesus, give me a passion for you. And if you pray for him to do it, he'll do it. Is that the iPad? Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought the iPad quit. Um, anyway, Paul makes it clear. Serving in God's kingdom. Serving in God's kingdom requires that we are thinking, that it should say that our thinking and values change. That they are elevated above this fallen world's standards. This world will tell you to quit unless it feels worth it. This world will tell you that you shouldn't hold yourself to the same standards that you expect others to adopt. This world will tell you that there are other causes that demand equal or even more of our attention and investment. At the end of the day, though, what matters most in the kingdom of God is our own integrity and our own sincerity that, that those things should motivate us and ground us in our ministries. See, when you serve in God's kingdom, that's what Paul means by uh, we are not doing this with, with fleshly wisdom or with fleshly motives. This world will have your motives all crossed up. But if you focus on maintaining your integrity, and maximizing your sincerity, God will take care of the rest. It is so hard to do that. But I'm, let me just say this on the flip side. Ministry is so fulfilling when you focus on those two things because you are doing it for Jesus, not anyone else, not anything else. We must guard our hearts so that our goalposts don't move or shift, so that our flesh does not tempt us or with something inferior or less satisfying. And Paul makes it clear as he, in verses 13 and 14, that he's not in ministry for any ulterior motive, anything other than glorifying God. And I tell you, verse 14 is so powerful, so much larger than even the context of this own passage. He says, our boast, your boast will be ours will be us and our boast will be you. And he's talking to the church and he's talking about how they respond, how they think of Paul and his team and how he, th he thinks of them in their church. And he says this particularly on the day of the Lord. So on the day of the Lord, 
Our glory will be in what our ministry has accomplished for others, and our joy will be in what others have done for us. I, I can't emphasize that enough. When we stand before Jesus, what we are most happy about, what we are most proud of, the only thing that we're going to be able to boast about in front of him is what our ministries were able to do for other people. Not because we did it, but because God used us as a vessel to pour into other people. Our glory will be what our ministries accomplish for others, and our joy will be what others have done for us, as in how we benefited from other people's ministries. Just this past week we learned, or just yesterday we learned, uh, that Dr. Charles Stanley went home to be with Jesus. The, the impact of his ministry on this earth is incalculable. It is priceless. For so many growing up in the shadow of his work in Atlanta, not just people in the southeast, all around the world, but the ripple effect of his ministry has been unreal. I mean, and, and if you think about what In Touch Ministries has accomplished, and, and for me personally, I, I grew up watching Charles Stanley, but I was even more impacted by the work of his son, the work of uh, another one of his disciples as they started their own ministries. Uh, North Point and Passion, which, uh, who writes a lot of the music that we sing, uh, Passion Ministries and North Point Ministries, all because of the work that Charles began there at First Baptist Atlanta. That entire Atlanta area uh, uh, of, of ministry came from his years of faithfulness to God. You know, it's easy to get lost in the personal success that Charles saw and those who rode the way that he started. The glory of those ministries will always be the people they reached and continue to reach. Listen, Charles Stanley, a great man, lived a great life, was a very famous and well-renowned man. But when he stood before Jesus for the first time in heaven, his glory was what he was able to do for others. And his joy was how he was benefited by those and by other ministries as well. Don't you know, don't you know how tempting it is to take our eyes off of what our main goal should always be? Whereas it's easy to get lost in personal successes, the glory of those ministries will always be the people they reach and the joy will always be the good news that came our way by means of others. So, this is our act of faith as we serve God. One day it will all be worth it. But listen very clearly. Sometimes, most of the time, the true payoff of why we're doing this will not come a day before. You hear that? It's so tempting to want to find affirmation now. It's so tempting to want to feel validated now. But Paul says, the payoff is yet to come. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness? The last temptation was that Satan took him to a high place, showed him mountains and showed him all the kingdoms of the world from the top of that mountain and all their glory. And he knew what we know, Jesus was going to get all that anyway. But he was offering Jesus a little bit of a shortcut. And you say, well, how was he able to do that anyway? We, we, we don't really know that. We just know that he was trying to say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, if you want to bypass the cross and the ministry that you're about to have, I'll give you what you're looking for or what anyone else would look for. And, and he said, if you just worship me, if you just fall down and give me the glory, and I'll take you around all that stuff. But Jesus rebuked him. 
It says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. As in, hey, I'm going to follow the path that God has for me, and I'm not going to cash in my work until the day comes. If we look for validation and affirmation in this world, we'll be riding high one day, but destroyed another day. And I've said this before, I'll say it a thousand times. If we live by the gains of this world, we will die by the losses of this world. We ride high some days, we fall low the next. If we live by and through Christ, our hopes will be set on his coming and our place in him for eternity. Our hope is in that day, we know it's coming, we know he's coming, and until then, we, until then, we serve him as he has called us to. As we wrap up, Paul explains his ministry a little bit more in these next few verses. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that, that you might have a second benefit or a second uh, experience. He'd only been there once before, so he's talking about, hey, that they would receive something greater if he came back. To pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and by help, be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this day, did I do it lightly? Or the things that I planned, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be a yes, yes, or no, no? And he's trying to say, do y'all think I just kind of make it up as I go or that I'm not trustworthy, that I'm wishy-washy of sorts? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. It was, it was yes. He said, but circumstances prevented us from getting there. For the Son of God in Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it, in him it was yes, as in we gave you our word. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with, is with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, is God, excuse me. This iPad, the light's shining, reflecting off my glasses, kind of making it hard to read. I apologize. Has anointed us in God, is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Paul makes it clear that he wasn't being wishy-washy when he kept communicating his return, but not able to follow through. But this call calls back to our points about integrity and sincerity. Paul wants it very, makes it very clear to these people that he was all in on his commitment to serve them and that we must be all in on our commitment too. And that is made possible by what Jesus has done for us. You see, Paul is trying to say, guys, I know it seems like I haven't always kept my word because things kept me from coming back, but I have never been halfway in on this. I've always been all in in serving the Lord. Because he says it to us in verse 21 and 22 that Christ in us and the Spirit of God in us has given us the ability to serve him no matter our circumstances, no matter how we feel or how we feel on any given day. We have everything we need in Christ in order to live faithfully to the Lord. We don't need circumstances to go our way, money to come our way, opportunities to fall our way. We just need Jesus and we can find that he is the way through any situation. Christ in us should motivate us, give us the confidence to commit to serving God no matter how we may feel on any given day. So many hold back on God because they can't commit to being all in because they don't know what tomorrow may hold. But don't you know that's what it means when it says that we should live 
by faith? How many of us have truly had to live by faith as in order our lives in such a way that we totally rely on God? We're pretty used to God helping us out along the way, aren't we? Do you remember the story of when the Jews crossed the Jordan River? Now, when they got to the Jordan River, many thought it was just going to be like the Red Sea Part 2. You know, in the Red Sea, Moses held the staff up and the water was well receded before they ever took a step into the path. But it's very clear that we understand the Red Sea was a picture of God saving Israel. God did all the work. He pushed the waters back, then they went through. But when they came to the Jordan River under Joshua, they had already been saved. They were stepping into the promised land. They were stepping into their life of ministry. They were stepping in to their calling to serve God. And God wasn't going to recede the water until they were willing to step into it. You see, God did all the work to save us. But in order to serve him, we must respond to his faithfulness with our faith. I encourage you, go and read Joshua 3, verses 10 through 16 particularly. God says to Joshua, when you step into the water, then I will begin to recede it. But only when you step into it. And as you and your leaders begin to take steps into the water, in the middle of the highest of the rushing season, the water was very, very dangerous. It was very, very uh, tumultuous. But God says, Joshua, when y'all step into it, then will I recede the waters back. But not a step before it. Now look down in verse 23, 24 with that in mind. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So Paul says, I... I I'm glad I didn't make it because this has been a time where God has tested you. God is testing y'all to see how sincere you are and how legitimate you are in your ministry, how determined you are to serve Jesus for the sake of Jesus alone. And if you are standing firm in your faith, you won't have any trouble. This lesson has been all about calling us to stand firm in our faith, to take a step out and serve the Lord on the basis of what he promises, not this world's offerings. All of us, no doubt, have been challenged by this because it conflicts with our emotions, our sensitivity to our own feelings and circumstances. The question is, do we realize what it means that Christ is in us and the opportunity he has given for us to participate in his ministry? We must step out in confidence with a passion and a commitment. But without that passion and without that commitment, we won't last a minute. Thanks be to God, it's not based on what we bring to the table, but based on who he has brought to our hearts. This is the mark of any true and successful ministry. And if we want to see our works validated and authenticated, if we want to see it all pay off in the end, we will decide ahead of time that Christ is enough and his kingdom is always worth it. So every day when you wake up and you ask yourself, is there a reason for me to keep doing what God's called me to do? Your reason is Jesus. 
He's enough. He's given you all that you need. He's provided you all that you need. He is enough of a reason. I might not make you feel like that was, there's a good reason. Someone else might not make you feel like there's a good reason. But if you are serving Jesus, he's enough. And he's given you all you need. All the promises of God are found in him. Not in me, not in someone else, not in your husband or wife or your children or your, or your neighbor. The promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So is he enough for you? And is his kingdom worth it to you? As in the payoff is not in what happens today. God is so good to us. He blesses us along the way. I know it, you know it. But that's not where the payoff is found. And on days you come up against the Jordan River and you want God to make it all easy and want him to cross the part of the waters for you so it isn't, it isn't difficult. That's the day you got to ask yourself, is Jesus enough and is his kingdom worth it? Because that's what will make you step into the waters that are difficult to see the way across. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for being faithful to us, Lord. On days that we are unfaithful to you, thank you for always giving us the strength that we lack. Father, I pray that you might would encourage each and every one of these tonight that Jesus is enough. Lord, they have a ministry at home. They have a ministry in their communities. They have a ministry as a part of your kingdom. They are all called to serve you. Lord, the devil makes it so difficult, it discourages us. The world makes it so distracting. But Lord, as they try to serve you and they try to put you first, as they try to do what you called them to do, help them to stay motivated and focused. Help them to keep their eyes on Jesus and help them to stay committed and all in on the work he's called them to do because it's worth it. And even if they don't feel like it's worth it today, there is a day coming when it will all be paid off. And that's the day that we look forward to and that we have confidence will be here before we know it. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.